As a new resident of Virginia, I did a little bit of research this last week in order to familiarize myself with the laws of our commonwealth. And I realized maybe I should have done this a little bit sooner because I found some surprises. I'm assuming you all know this as people who either live here in Virginia or travel here at least somewhat frequently, even if it's just for church. But just in case you're not aware, did you know that it is illegal in Virginia to use profane, indecent, or threatening language on the phone? And yes, this includes your text messages, by the way. It's also illegal anywhere in the Commonwealth to tickle a woman. And while men don't have the same legal protections, let's be honest, you probably shouldn't be tickling anybody at all. Now, if you decide to go on a trip to Richmond and you go out for a cup of coffee with a friend, make sure, please, that you don't flip a coin to decide who's paying, because that would be a crime. And if you make it to Norfolk, please be aware that it's not just rude and poor form to spit on a seagull, it's criminal. And ladies, if you're in Norfolk, making sure that you don't spit on those seagulls, it might be best for you to stay in at night as well. Because apparently there's actually still a law on the books that makes it illegal for you to be out at night as a woman, unless you have a male chaperone, and even then you're required to also be wearing a corset, which sounds uncomfortable. And finally, gentlemen, even though it's technically legal for you to beat your wife on the steps of the Stafford County Courthouse, provided you get it done before 8 p.m., if you're considering doing this, don't. <laughs> Please set up an appointment to talk to me because I think we'll need to have a remedial Fifth Commandment lesson. Part of living in a country that's been around for as long as ours has been is having weird laws that are left on our books. And it can be kind of fun to look up the lists of weird laws in, in your state and chuckle at them or, or cringe at some of them for sure. Especially fun when they don't apply to us or when we know that they're not going to be enforced anyways. However, what are we supposed to do when the government makes laws that we feel are unfair, or fails to enact the policies that we want, or enforces laws that, that hurt us? What are we supposed to do then? What are we supposed to do when the government outright supports things that we know go against God's designs, or forces us to pay taxes that we might feel are an unfair burden? It's a whole lot less fun than looking at silly laws. Today we're looking at the clearest section of scripture, though, that addresses God's design for our relationship with our government, and I think we'll find answers to those questions. You see, when it comes to our government and our relationship or view of it, there are really two main temptations that we can fall into. The first is very obvious if Romans 13 is still fresh in your mind after we read it a few minutes ago. The most obvious way to sin, the most obvious temptation when it comes to the government, is just outright disobedience or disrespect towards the government and authorities. We can come up with, of course, all sorts of reasons to disobey a law, right? The law doesn't make sense. It's not practical. I understand the, I understand the letter of the law or the, the, the intent behind the law, and, and I can work around it. Or the law is just unfair. But we know that God expects us to obey those in authority. I mean, this is a pretty clear-cut fourth commandment issue. God commands us to honor our father and mother. And uh, as we see scripture talk about authority, it's not just parents that God gives his authority to. It's the government as well. And still, even with this in mind, our hearts come up with all sorts of excuses and explanations not to obey. We maybe shouldn't be surprised, though, that there's this rebel in us. 
as Americans, we've inherited a country and a culture that was born and formed in revolution and rebellion. It's part of our national DNA. And as human beings, even worse, we've inherited sinful natures that are rebellious just as much, if not more. But what does God say? He couldn't be more clear. It's absolutely 100% crystal clear. Everyone must submit themselves to the governing authorities. Not just people who want to. Not just when it makes sense. Everyone must. As we read Romans 13, we see Paul piling on this absolute language in both directions, both positive and negative. There is no authority that isn't established by God. Every authority that does exist was established by God. To disobey the government is to disobey God. You see, God doesn't want people to obey the government because they agree with every policy the government puts forth. God doesn't want people to obey because the laws make sense to them or are easy to keep uh, or don't keep them from living the ways that they wanted to live. God doesn't want people who obey because the authorities are the ones they voted into office. Looking at what he says through Paul, God simply wants people to obey because he says so. And really, if we look at this more closely, God wants more than just obedience. After all, maybe we are pretty good at the obedience side of things. We follow the laws, at least enough to keep out of trouble for the most part. We know God wants us to obey, but we obey in a grudging way. And when taxes come due, uh, I don't know about you, but we certainly aren't happy to, as Jesus would put it, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Instead, we do it whining and complaining. So easily we talk about stewardship here at church as just giving to God what already belongs to him. Uh, as we see Jesus talk about our relationship with the government and the gospel today, really, does he see it any differently? Paying our taxes is just giving to the government what already belongs to the government in his eyes. Man, uh, we should be happy to make sure that this money gets into the right hands, and yet we're not. We do it whining and complaining. And maybe we don't break the laws, but we take advantage of the free speech that, that we have in our country. Every advantage to uh, belittle and mock and insult our leaders. We post memes and jokes that uh, we'd like to pretend are silly and good-natured, but they're not. They're mean-spirited. They're angry. Instead of respectful criticism when we disagree with the government or wish things were done differently, maybe you lash out in anger and disrespect. And if that's you, you have to look again at what Paul says because it's not just outward obedience toward the government that God is looking for. He's not just looking for obedience and respect when it comes to your wallet and taxes and laws. He's looking for obedience and respect with your heart. You could really even argue that God's expectation is not just that we honor the government, but that we even love the government. Think about that. Agree or disagree. I love my government and authorities. Mm. And yet Paul gives us a couple of reasons to do this. The first is very practical. Rebelling against the government or disobeying its laws might just bring some punishment down on the person who tries it. Paul says that we should fear that judgment and obey. He says it's necessary to submit to authorities for this reason, to avoid possible punishment or judgment. After all, the government is God's servant. It carries the sword to bring God's wrath. And Paul also says that obeying the government or doing what is right might even earn you some benefits or commendation. But it's not just fear of punishment or a hope for reward that should motivate a person to submit to the government, Paul says. 
He says it's a matter of conscience as well. In other words, there's a moral obligation here, a moral obligation beyond the threat of punishment, beyond the practical, avoiding being squished under the laws and and, and judicial system, a, a moral obligation to submit to the government. Remember again, disobeying the government is disobeying a government that God has established, which means it's disobeying God. The judgment you can bring on yourself for rebellion and lawbreaking and disrespect isn't just in this life. It's eternal. It should violate our consciences to disobey or even disrespect the authorities that God has established in our lives. And yet we really struggle with that. And so far, we've really only talked about one side of the problem sinful people like you and I have in our relationship with the authorities that God has established. And it's probably the easier of the two to identify in our hearts. I mean, it's easy to know when you broke a law, assuming you know the laws. It's even easier to know when you've harbored or expressed disrespect for the government established by God. That's one ditch, but there's another ditch on the other side of the road that we could fall into as well. And that's the ditch of allowing the government to have too big of a place in our hearts, or more specifically, allowing the government to have part or all of the place that only God deserves in our hearts and our attitudes. And when I say it that way, it's obviously wrong, right? I don't know anyone who's going to wake up some morning and say, today I'm worshiping the government instead of God, or today I'm going to look to the government to provide things that I should look to God for. I don't know anyone who's going to say that, but I do know, though, that we can struggle with this anyways, with maybe without even realizing what we're doing. It looks like this. Maybe you are so invested in electing the right politician in your eyes with the right views and the right policies that if they don't make it into office, you're going to lose all hope, not just for the nation, but maybe for the world and become a depressed and bitter and angry, pessimistic person. Or you imagine that if the government just does insert whatever it is you think they should do, then everything will all be better. You're hoping, you're putting all your hope in the government, or maybe you find yourself blaming the government in the opposite direction, blaming the government itself for everything you see is wrong in the world and in your life, even beyond what you could actually honestly attribute to the government. Or maybe you think that if the government just made laws that lined up with God's laws perfectly, you know, put the Ten Commandments up in the courthouse and forced everybody to obey the Ten Commandments, then we'd have a perfect world. If you've ever found yourself in those mindsets, you've forgotten the government's role and allowed it to have part of God's place in your heart. You need to look again at what Paul says here. Yes, being established by God means that the government has a hugely important role in our lives, but being established by God also means that the government is under God. He's the one who establishes it. God still holds the ultimate authority. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, after all, right? God's design for what a government is supposed to do and be is right here in Romans 13. It's not to lead people to live righteous lives. It's not to teach people about God or to make Christianity a world religion. The government bears the sword, Paul says, in order to bring God's wrath on the wrongdoer. One part of the government's God-given role is just that, punishing evil. On the other hand, the other side, the government is also established for our good, Paul says, and should promote good citizenship by rewarding good behavior. That's it. The government is there to help control outward behavior so that we have a peaceful and orderly world. It should try to keep people from doing evil 
and encourage people to do what's good for society. And we really shouldn't look for any more or any less from these authorities that God establishes in our lives. Notice that God doesn't lay out exactly how the government should do that. He doesn't give the laws. He doesn't say this is what the death penalty should be. He doesn't say that this is that the death penalty even has to exist. He doesn't say that these are the rewards that should be given or this is the tax code that should be enabled. Or He doesn't even give indic- any indication about what form or structure the government should have. I mean, in the Old Testament, he ran Israel as a direct theocracy. He told Moses things and Moses told the people, this is what we're going to do. Then uh, under the kings of Israel, he still had a pretty direct hand by revealing his will directly to the prophets who took his will to those kings. And for the record, Paul was writing this, Romans 13, in the time of the Roman Empire under Emperor Nero, who wasn't exactly known for being the nicest dictator of all time. The purpose for the government still is clear, even if God doesn't lay out a form or laws. The purpose is clear, to prevent evil with the threat of punishment and to promote good and good order with the promise of reward. And now's probably the time we need to talk about the one exception. There is one situation in which God would tell us that we must disobey the government. Do you know when? Of course you do. It's when the government directly commands us to disobey God or forbids us to obey him. That's when. That's when we must obey God and not man comes into play. But only then. It's not something that we should go looking for excuses or a loophole for us to try to find and enact. Um, God says, submit to the authority like you submit to him, right? So looking for ways out because you don't want to is not something that comes from a heart of faith. That's not a, that's not a believing heart sort of action. That's a sinful nature sort of action. And even when that situation arises, even should it happen, and the government tells us we cannot do something that we have to do, or that we must do something that God forbids, well, the rest of God's expectations about how we behave towards authorities are still in play. Just look at how Daniel, in our first lesson today, was still respectful when he disagreed with his government, a government that certainly didn't believe in God. And the thing is, God tells us that all of this is for our good. Of course, this can be a really hard lesson for us to take to heart, especially when we have this rebellious, sinful nature within us that's just looking for excuses to undermine, disobey, and disrespect God's authorities in our lives. It's all the more difficult when our government is made up of people who don't share our faith or values. It's even harder when we see the government fail in its duties. It shouldn't matter to us, though. Our obedience and our respect aren't based on reciprocity or in any sort of exchange. This isn't commerce. Our obedience and respect are based on God's call and our conscience. We obey the government and respect authorities unconditionally because God asks us to do it. And maybe the reason this is difficult is because it flies against our human nature. It's not natural. I mean, think about how we naturally expect our relationship with God or even just justice and righteousness should work. We expect that if we do good things, God will reward us. If we do bad things, he'll punish us. It's on us to get the mixture right. And if we do some bad things, we better do some good things to make up for it, right? And if we don't, it would be fair for God to punish us if we don't have good excuses. And let's be honest, we can come up with all sorts of excuses we think are good. 
So we naturally apply the same logic to our relationship with a government. If we do good things, we expect to be rewarded, protected. And if we do bad things, we might accept a punishment. In reverse, if the government does what we want and like and feel is right, we'll reward it with our obedience, our respect, even our love and honor. If it doesn't, though, we'll offer grudging obedience at best, but more likely disrespect and disobedience. And that's so different from what God wants. God wants us to obey his government for no other reason than that it's established by him. He wants us to respect and honor it as his authority, unconditionally. Martin Luther says that we could even look at the government as if it's just God wearing a mask. So maybe it shouldn't surprise us, though, that this reflects God's unconditional love for us. Maybe it shouldn't surprise us that the way God envisions our relationship, our interaction with the authorities he establishes, is similar to how he acts in his love for us. He doesn't love us because we've earned anything. Our reluctant obedience, our lack of respect for him through his authorities, absolutely prove that point. How God loves us simply because he wants to. Because he's good for us. Because it's good for us. And our ultimate eternal good is his goal. This is why he created governments and authorities in the first place. He wants a world that has order and peace. In a sin-filled world, governments will struggle with that. But even so, we're better off with them. Just think how grateful you are to have our government, imperfect as it is compared to anarchy and chaos. We have stability and safety, at least enough to focus on other things besides just fighting for safety and survival. We get to worship in peace. We get to share God's good news in peace. Like any other temptations, of course, these are always going to be hard to fight. But you know what? When we see God's love for us, we can have a completely radically different view and perspective on the government and our relationship and our role and its role. We can submit to the government always. After all, it's established by God. And we trust that God is going to use it for our good. Amen.